All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want more information on my company, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. My co-host tonight is Brad Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. If you want more information about Musky Mayhem Tackle, visit MuskyMayhemTackle.com. And tonight, we do not have any guests. It's just me and Brad talking about some questions that were proposed to us via social media. And we're going to try to do our best to answer some of them and not bore you. Since um, yesterday was opening the NFL season, uh, Brad, we could probably talk about the NFL season too if you want, because you and I probably know more about that than we do fishing. Well, uh, honestly, I really haven't watched the NFL a whole lot the last couple of years. I don't know. I've, uh, you know, when you get busy out on the water, it's tough to kind of follow it. But I, I did watch the Green Bay game uh, last Thursday, and I even watched a little bit of the Vikings uh, yesterday afternoon before we went back out fishing. So. We could probably talk a little bit about it, I guess. We could talk about everybody thought the Browns are going to be awesome, and then they laid an egg yesterday, so maybe the Browns aren't going to be so awesome. Yeah, you know, you think about it. You know, these guys don't even play the preseason for the most part. Most of the starters don't. They might see a couple of plays here and there. Um, I don't know. You know, that first game of the year is always kind of a mystery, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of like always the preseason. You know, it's like after the game, everybody was talking about how great Green Bay's defense was, and it might be great. I don't know. Is the Bears def- is the Bears offense really bad? I have no I-, I have no idea. It'll take you know a few weeks for us to iron out a few of those a few of those questions. But um, enough about football. Let's talk fishing. So um, we put up a post on our Facebook page for those of you that don't know. Uh, Backlash Podcast has a Facebook page, and we have an Instagram page. Occasionally, before we have guests, we will post questions to them about um you know you know before we'll post questions on the page asking for any you know anything you guys want to know or ask have us ask the guest um we just did it for a general one stuff that you wanted us to talk about and so we have a few questions that we're going to get started on so brad um i don't know let's see where should we should we start where should we start you had a few bullet points on some of them is there any particular question you want to start with first well, let's let's start with the future of musky fishing. The future of musky fishing. Um, what's your opinion, Jeff, at this point? You know where we're at right now. Well, in my opinion, I think we're. I mean, I I could be wrong, but I think we're in the heyday of musky fishing right now. I think with all the different clubs out there, uh, catch and release, larger size limits, new regulations as far as uh, limiting what you can do with. Um, sucker rigs and stuff like that i think that right now are the glory days of musky fishing in my opinion i could be wrong you know we could see things change in the future and maybe there's even more stocking but you know i look i look at a lot of the lakes that are around in wisconsin because obviously i'm most familiar with it and the stocking programs that we have on a lot of these lakes are actually pretty incredible from what they used to be and it seems like i mean i, I know you guys have some opposition over there but it seems like there isn't really that anti-musky opposition in Wisconsin. So we we don't have the giant 50s showing up all the time, although we could talk about a few 50s that have come out recently. Um, you know of one by Rob Manti. He got a 50 the other night. Um, I know Steve got one today on a fat bastard. What are, Do you know what Rob got his 50 on? Was that a junior cowgirl or not? 
I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, I, I talked to Rob here about a week ago, but he never, we never, I think it was prior to him catching that fish. So. Yeah, I think it was too. Cause I think he got it over the weekend, if I'm not mistaken. I know of a different friend of mine. He was fishing a tournament on Shauna Lake. He got a 50 and three quarter. It's, um, Kyle who shows up in my, in my uh, YouTube videos once in a while. Kyle and I have had some good luck together so far this year in the water. I think in our two times we filmed, we have eight fish in the boat. So that's pretty good, but he, you know, he had never caught a 50, never gotten close to one. So now I shouldn't say close, 48's close, but he never got a 50. So he finally got one this weekend. So it seems like, um, there's more, there's more 50 showing up on inland lakes. That's just inland stuff that I know of. That's not, you know, Green Bay. Cause I don't want to say Green Bay, they show up every day, but Green Bay, they pretty much show up every day. So that's, in my opinion, that's the, that's where musky fishing is today. I feel like it's pretty much it's it's great i think it's probably the best it's been yeah i think uh with the exception of maybe a couple lakes you know you could compare lake Malax or lake vermilion you know and the, the numbers of the fish that they did produce at one point um even like say 10 years ago um they were incredible fisheries there's no doubt about it i don't know if we'll see fisheries like that again but you never know um but i i i I would agree with you, Jeff, in the sense that, you know, all in all, where we're going as a fishing community, a muskie community, and the bodies of water that we can choose to use, um, definitely it's improving in that sense. So I think that in certain instances, though, I mean, the, obviously, I think the sport's growing as far as the amount of anglers are concerned. I still don't, I still hear about pressure, but up in northern Wisconsin, I don't see a lot of pressure yet. I mean, I obviously see mus musky anglers, but I just don't see tons of them. You might deal with pressure more because in Minnesota, you guys have less lakes to choose from. Um, so like you said, though, I don't know that we have the Mille Lacs and the Vermilion, and I kind of don't know that for sure that those lakes will even come back. Do you? I mean, to where they were? Because as, as, as far as I know, like I said, don't, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but is Mille Lacs even getting stocked with muskies any longer? I believe this fall they're going to uh, do another stocking. Um, is it enough? No, I don't, I don't think those initial restockings or the original stockings um, are ever big enough, really. You know what I mean? Uh, it's a tough call. I mean, we've got to try to trust our DNR um, and trust that uh, these biologists know what to do. The guys that are head of fisheries, um, but it's a giant body of water, you know, let's, let's think about this. How many fish can that body of water actually hold? Um, I'm no scientist by any means, but uh, you know, the initial stockings that I seen throughout the state of Minnesota, when I first started fishing here, um, fishing for muskies anyway, those original say first four to six years, those fish grew really quick. They got really good and thick and big. And, um, Unfortunately, a lot of those are, they're gone. They're kind of out of the system now. And now we're on that consistent, consistent, uh, regrowth, if you will, of the fish. Um, I think that's a big difference, but to your point about Mille Lacs or say Vermilion, both lakes, I believe are supposed to be getting muskies this fall. Um, but how many years is it to get there? You know, we could talk about, you know, you said maybe Wisconsin doesn't have that, but you know, if you look at the netting survey of Green Bay this past year, that looks a little bit grim as well. And I would compare Green Bay maybe to the Mille Lacs or a Vermilion, you know, in that sense. 
Yeah, when they do all those netting surveys and all you see is 48-inch and bigger fish, it's a concern. The one thing about Green Bay, though, is probably that, I th I, again, I don't have all the exact facts, but I would say it's been stocked again pretty regularly in pretty decent numbers for like the past four or five years. There was that cycle during the VHS where they didn't have a clean egg source, and they've also developed some backup plans for Green Bay, as we've talked about in previous podcasts. But it's it. There, I do think that maybe Green Bay isn't going to be quite as grim, although, and it, it also seems like this fall... I've seen a lot more smaller fish showing up in pictures. I have a, quite a few friends that guide out there, and I've seen a lot of smaller fish, so that's also a good sign for the future there. So I don't know that Green Bay is in dire straits, but it definitely is It's a bad sign when all you see is big fish in any fishery. You want to see fish throughout the entire range. You want to find them from the, you know, from the 20s all the way up to 50s, and that's the sign of a true healthy fishery. Getting back to your point about Mille Lacs fish, and well, you can use it with Green Bay too. Like Mille Lacs fish, that first storm of fish, they always say your first wave when you stock a lake always has the the best of everything. They have the you know they don't have as they don't have as much um, competing pressure for food, and they have an ample food source because obviously they're they're the apex predator. So your initial wave of fish through there generally grows the biggest and the fastest, from what I'm told. Same thing happened on Green Bay. Those fish had ample forage to just pretty much do as they wish. And so that helps that helps that first wave of fish through. In Mille Lacs, I would think if they would start stocking, you'd probably see their growth rates be fairly quick because there's not as many predators in there right now. It's Like you said, their initial restock that they're, that they're planning to do isn't necessarily a restock. It's almost like a restart, isn't it? Yeah, I would say so for the most part. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's been a lot of big fish. I mean, look at this past June. For <laughs> there sure. was tons of giant fish getting caught there. So, I mean, I you can't paint a horrible picture about Mille Lacs or Vermilion, you know. I mean, I, there's still quite a few big fish, and um, they're pretty unique bodies of water. There's no doubt. But but when you look at the total numbers of both of those lakes, it's hurting. And um I think that uh, my fear is, is it takes so many years to get those fish to grow to those uh, really cool, you know, 48 to 52 inch fish, you know, it takes time. And uh, it, it's unfortunate that we didn't catch it earlier, put it that way. Right. Well, like you said, to your point, there was, I mean, I don't want to paint Mille Lacs as a terrible thing because... I think if I think we could agree that if you're looking for a absolute giant fish and you don't mind going fishless day after fishless day, Malax has some absolute giant fish, and I would suspect that unless something changes for November or even late October, somebody's gonna pull an absolute giant out of that place. It happens every year, you know. I mean, is it a needle in a haystack? Some days it is, um, but generally speaking, every day there's usually a giant cod. And I don't think we need to make this just about those particular lakes, you know, those three kind of, I guess you'd call them mega system in a sense. Um, all three of those bodies of water we're talking about, Green Bay, Vermilion, and Mille Lacs, definitely produce some giant fish, you know, and, and it's cool. Um, but I think it, the future of musky fishing is deeper than bodies of water, if you will. You know, in, in my opinion, we as anglers, if we really truly care, we need to be active. Um, we need to be out there, whether it be through Muskie's Inc. or different Muskie organizations, 
and not only that, but maybe our DNR fisheries, you know, the biologists visiting with them and, and seeing what we can actually do to help improve the musky fisheries. Oh, yeah, I would certainly agree with that too. And I mean, that, that point leads you into, um, I guess you could, we could probably lead into another point there. There was a question on social media and I think that it said, um, what are the effects of both positive and negative on social media? And I think getting out there and helping the one, the one positive effect is there's all these groups and it's very easy for you to get involved in a group. It's also very easy to find out, you know, what, what's going on within these groups now because of social media, which, you know, leads you into all sorts of different other, other topics too, as far as the social media aspect of it. Um, you know, both positive and negative, the, uh, the, the positive of it is with social media, including YouTube and podcasts and all that stuff is access to information has never been easier for you to find out whatever it is you want to know about a body of water. Um, there's another question about breaking down new bodies of water and we could talk about that, but I want to talk about something as far as like access to information. So if you go Google search Wisconsin DNR stocking summary, you, it'll bring up a map and you can literally click on there and then find whatever lake you want and then find out what, you know, what, how many muskies are being stocked, what years they're being stocked and all that stuff. So just access to information that way can get you a really great head start on, potentially finding i don't want to say the next best thing but potentially finding a, a lake that's off the beaten path do you guys have access to that kind of information over in minnesota like we do in wisconsin yeah we do it's basically the same thing it's right through the minnesota dnr um and i'm sure all of the states you know most of those dnrs kind of seem to tag team if you will on all of that so um it, that information is just so available I and mean, it's pretty amazing. If you start doing some of that research, um, you can learn a lot real quick, no doubt about it. So, you know, to kind of backtrack on the future of things, you can also find it that way. So in my opinion, it's kind of going to be one of those things now, I would say, and you you could probably add your two cents in there, as far as it's going to be with with more pressure being put on musky fisheries. I think it's going to be more important to do some of your own research to try to get outside the box a little bit to try to avoid pressure. And I don't want to paint a really, you know, grim picture like there's ten musky or ten bo- ten boats on every musky on every musky spot on every musky lake because that's clearly not the case. Uh, especially like I said, up in northern Wisconsin, I just don't see the pressure that other people do. But I think that's going to also transfer over to some of these rivers too, Brad. I mean, there's tons and tons of unexplored water, unexplored rivers. I just watched your, uh, the one with Nick Erickson and Zach Iverson, that river rooted. I literally watched that an hour ago. And like the little, the little hidden streams and rivers and stuff where these guys are catching muskies is pretty awesome. So, and I think you're going to see that stuff come more and more and more into play as, as musky fishing progresses. Yeah, there's no doubt, Jeff. I mean, uh, here's the deal, too. I mean, Minnesota has added a few different bodies of water in the last, I think it's been eight or nine years. You know, and, and original stockings, eight or nine years, generally, you'll you'll start seeing some of those 48 to 50-inch fish. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Um, so, I mean, there's little hidden gems. You do your homework, you're probably going to find a couple. Put it that way. Yeah just get outside the box and go start trying some stuff. Like I said, dig around and do some research, possibly see if you can talk to anybody 
local, possibly talk to a walleye fisherman, somebody that's, you know, um, there's a website called Lake Link and they have a forum section on there and or a fishing report section on there. I occasionally will go on to some of that stuff and I'll literally just look up different lakes that I know have muskies, but maybe not talked about so much. And I'll look to see if anybody posts accidental muskie catches just to try to give you an idea of what's out there. That's how, and, and to me, the one thing I didn't, I don't do enough of it anymore because I just don't have as much time. And you know, it is Brad, you get set in your ways a little bit as a muskie angler. You have certain lakes that you like to hit and you'll hit them because you know, they're good or they're good at certain times and you move on to something else that's good at a certain time. So you don't play around as much. But to me, when I first started out, that was some of the most fun stuff I did was just poke around and, um, just pick a lake and, and go and go explore it and see what's in it and find out, you know what you know learn for yourself learn on the fly kind of a deal there's no doubt about that jeff i mean i it kind of slips us into another question honestly um you know how do you get on a new lake and how do you find fish and then how do you settle on a pattern you know it's kind of the one of the next questions that we have on our list yep exploring can be so much fun you know what i mean and the thing about exploring is is that it helps if you go explore when you know the fish are going on the other bodies of water. Um, if you're going when nobody's catching anything anywhere, you're probably not going to catch anything on new water either, you know? So keep that in mind. If you're going to go out, try a new body of water, try to go when you've been catching fish and fish are active. Um, I, I definitely, I've been doing more of that over the past, I don't know how many years, but it, it, the exploring is a big part of it and it kind of ties into what you talked about with rivers and streams you know there's a ton of different water that nobody's really utilizing at this point nope i agree like i i think the river part's going to be the next frontier and if you go south down to like west virginia that's all those guys fish and it's not like they're pulling out skinny you know skinny little muskies i've saw a couple of them. i think i saw another guy uh, looked like he was fishing from the bank. I saw it on Facebook. He caught like a 53 down in West Virginia. Like that's a giant fish. So you're not, and the and the rivers they're fishing. It's not like they're fishing, you know, these huge rivers. They're some of the stuff is pretty small and pretty tiny stuff you'd take in with a John boat, a jet boat, a canoe, um, all sorts of different ways to access it. Which I guess if you're you know you're looking to get into muskies. Everybody wants to talk about rangers, big water, big boats. I mean, there's a lot of access. There's a lot of opportunities um, just for guys that have a little, a little tiny boat too. And in some cases, it's probably more enjoyable than going on in those big waters. I know yesterday I was on Green Bay and we were into some waves. It was pretty rough. We got our butts kicked around, and that wasn't any fun. It was making me wish I was on a river yesterday. <laughs> I hear you. You know, and the other side to that river side of fishing. Um, you don't even need a boat. I mean, there's guys doing it, you know, and waders are in their tennis shoes running through the water. So it's pretty interesting. You know, you brought up West Virginia. I mean, you can do it in Kentucky. You can do it in Tennessee, um, Iowa. I mean, there's tons of different places and you can fish them year round actually. So, I mean, whether you live, you know, maybe you're in the Northland and you're in a fish house, if you want to, in a short, 10, 16 hour drive, you can basically be musky fishing in February if you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a place I want to head to sometime. I really want to get down to West Virginia and check it out just to, like you said, get away. I wanted to do it in March, but I've heard March can be a tough time down there. I talked to a few guys and they said that you can be, you know, 
pre-spawn and they said that pre-spawn can be a little tough they said that if we're better off to go down in december just to try to escape some of the cold so maybe maybe someday you and i should make a trip down brad yeah that'd be awesome jeff i, I would love to go there you know i've been to kentucky multiple times uh missouri i've fished in iowa but you know west virginia would be a, a whole new gig um probably a little bit similar to kentucky but hey i'm all about it let's go explore that's right be fun stuff so let's get back to the question on how to approach a new lake and your steps taken to find fish in a pattern so for me personally when i'm going to look for a new lake the first thing i do is i always hit up i always google search wisconsin stocking that way i can i can try to find new lakes and make sure that there's actually fish being put into the lakes that i'm fishing once i'm into there you're going to want to try to pick up the map that you, you know, you're going to, I still use, I don't know if you use them still, Brad, but I still use maps occasionally. Um, or I'll sit my boat in my truck or in the garage and I'll pull up the map on my, on my, um, on my locator just to see, you know, what I'm, lo- what I'm looking for. And obviously depending on time of year is going to change the, you know, what, what I'm looking for as far as structure goes. Um, is that kind of similar to what you would do, Brad? Yeah. You know, the, the neat thing is, um, I might approach it just a hair different. I mean, I might glance at a paper map of some sort. Um, but I honestly, if I approach a new lake, which is something that, uh, Matt Seifert and I did earlier this year together, um, went to a different lake, we got out there and what we did, and I believe we're going to have this on a YouTube video here coming up uh, sometime this winter, but Literally, what I will do is I rely both on site imaging and in my, my my map card. And with the map cards, I mean, they're not perfect. They really aren't. Um, but they really do help you. There's no doubt. I mean, the break lines are going to be shown on that map card, but they're not always exactly perfect. And so we spent tons of time just driving break lines. And what we did is literally you, you say the break lines on the left side of the boat, the port side. We would turn left with the boat, we'd crash into it. As soon as we'd hit the weed lines, boom, we'd mark a waypoint. We'd turn right, you know, towards the starboard side. As soon as we fell off that weed line, boom, we'd hit another waypoint. And what you're doing is, is you're basically creating that map as you're going along. And uh, now when you go back to fish it, you basically can connect the dot, if you will. And um, you know, putting in the extra time doing that, you can use your side imaging, you can use your down imaging, um, multiple different ways to do it. You don't need all the different equipment, but if you have a GPS, you can definitely put something together. Um, visually, you know, one of the other things that I like to do, I think maybe we talked about this before, I know I have in articles before, but if you have a really nice calm morning where the sun is up, you know, just kind of coming up over the trees and it's calm out, cruise around your boat, you're going to start seeing weed, weed patches everywhere, you know, weed patches that you maybe didn't know existed, you know, when there's a wind out there and there's waves, it makes it hard to see in the water. So calm mornings on a new lake, definitely a huge factor. I mean, it really helps you cut the learning curve really quick. Um, Basically, it's about sand, rocks, and weeds. Try to learn those spots. Where's the sand? Where's the rocks? Where's the weeds? Those three things are the biggest thing when I try to find a new body of water. Yep, I would say you're pretty close to spot on with that. Uh, I was going to say typically if, it, you know, depending upon time of year, early season, I'm looking for weeds. 
this time of year I'm still back looking for weeds. I mean, I would say we probably relate to weeds more often 90% of the time. It just depends on where I am on the weeds. If I'm way up on them, you know, if the fish are relating shallow early season, I'll be way up in there. If they're, you know, as, as the water warms, I start to drop off to the break lines. And then I, then again, about this time of year, those fish generally have a shallow migration, which from what I understand, most of them have made it right now. I'm, I'm only curious to know how long that's going to last because our water temperatures are dropping fast. But those fish are pushing shallow again right now. And, you, you know, you're back up in them. So those are all types of things to look. But like you said, Brad, the, the best thing to do is spend some time um, investigating the lakes, you know, like really get in there to learn it and I think a lot of people always just want to catch muskies and I always look at I always looked at like um, exploring a new lake just like laying the groundwork for future success sometimes it's you just have to take a day or whatever I mean you could still fish while you're doing it but you know like you said take an hour take an hour in the morning morning's probably a good time to be fishing but you're laying you're laying the groundwork for future success by really learning about the lake the ins and outs of the lake and then once you have it like you said that as much as i love side imaging i still feel like your your map card and your gps is still a very very high priority oh hands down jeff i mean you know (laughs) here's the deal i mean you think about it where we are today um in comparison to where things were at 20 years ago we just have so many advantages in our pocket. I mean, it's, it's totally mind boggling, honestly. Um, but all of those are big key factors. There's no doubt. And, uh, utilize the tools that have been given to us that have been provided to us. And, um, you don't need every single tool, but definitely put your time in on the water. And, uh, I I think so many anglers just go out and they're like, well, we just got to start casting. And they're flailing baits and they're looking at their map card or maybe they're looking at a paper map, whatever it might be, just flailing baits. No, just take some time and find those inside turns, those points, the weed edges, the rock piles, whatever it might be. Those are the real true factors when it comes to a new lake. Yep, I agree. Um, Do we have anything else we want to talk about with finding a new lake? I think that... Eventually, someday, we're going to get Jeff Van Remortal on, and I want to talk to him about New Lakes, partially because he knows, like, when I fished with him this summer, I just, it was pretty amazing to me how how well he knew so many different bodies of water, and, but he told me that, kind of like, we went through the process, like we're talking about right now, that's just how he did it, and it was one of those things where he laid the groundwork for future success, so I want to talk to him more about that. Um, I think, actually, it this point brad will break we'll we'll end up putting in this clip now from pete rich and we're going to talk about trolling on lakes versus flowages and where to focus because pete does a really great job with fishing trolling on lakes and flowages so we'll insert that about right now because we're going to we're going to record that here in about i don't know a couple hours brad you won't be around so we'll quick speed through that with pete rich all right guys we're going to break in on me and brad talking and we're going to talk trolling on lakes and flowages with Pete Rich, Pete Rich Guide Service out of Hayward, Wisconsin. Pete, thanks for coming on with this uh, one question for us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. So the question that people proposed to us was just like, your differences on trolling on lakes versus flowages and where you focus. Is it a channel edge thing or what you're, you know, what you're targeting when you're trolling on those two different 
bodies of water. So if you could kind of break that down a little bit. Yeah, you know, without getting too deep into, you know, how I would attack each season, um, I think, you know, kind of generally speaking, the the biggest difference to me is flowage fish tend to hold the edges of structure longer than the natural lake fish. And, and the reason I think that is, is flowages tend to have a lot of soft bottom, much more so than, uh, than lakes. You know, lakes, obviously, a natural lake obviously has its soft bottom basin where you get a lot of insect hatches. Um, but because flowages are shallow, tend to have steeper breaks. I think those insect hatches come closer to structure and I'm able to structure troll uh, flowages much, much longer into midsummer. Um, and then same, you know, in, in the late fall where I'm, I'm running, you know, break lines that are, you know, real tight to the basin, real tight structure. And it, it, like I said, it just kind of seems like flowage fish want to hold structure longer than lake fish where, you know, on an open water trolling bite, um, I think lakes are much more predictable because you do tend to have smaller areas of that mud bottom where the the fish go out when those insects are hatching. Um, you know, so like middle of the summer, I'll kind of transition from trolling flowages and move to more natural lakes. Um, but, uh, you know, one other advantage I think with trolling flowages, and this isn't all, you know, <clears throat> it's kind of generally speaking, but flowages also tend to be a little bit shallower than your natural lakes. Um, you know, that's not for all, but, you know, for the most case, you know, where I'm at here, the Chippewa flowage, most of our breaks kind of bottom out in that 18 to 20 foot range where, you know, a lot of our natural lakes, those breaks might bottom out in 30, 40, 50, 60 feet of water. Um, and just the absence of deep water makes fish more accessible. You know, I don't have to worry about a fish being 50 feet down on any of the flowages we have here in Hayward because there's so little of that water that I feel the uh the, the need to be more precise with your depths isn't as uh isn't as critical on flowage because if you're 20 feet deep and i'm running the lure five ten feet down well i'm pretty much in the strike zone for every fish in the water column as long as i don't get below them sure so do you generally you know getting on the off topic on on structure what what exactly are you doing as far as like baits what do you change that up at all or are you kind of in, do you have a um, do you have a a, pro, a program that you're running and you're just dialed in on that program, or are you running different baits on the flowages versus the lakes? No, they they seem to be the same no matter where I go. You know, some of our natural lakes. It was it was a weird year this year. This was not uh, sure anybody who watched you and I um, on the, the episode we did last year heard a lot about matlocks. Um, this for me personally was a was was not a great year for matlocks. This year the ten inch headlock was hands down my best bait. Um, and that would, didn't matter if I was on a flowage or a natural lake, the 10 inch headlock just kind of seemed to be what fish wanted. Um, and I don't think it was a size thing either because my number two lure this fall or this uh, summer, I'm sorry, my number two lure was a 12 inch uh, blue water. Um, so it, it, they didn't seem to want that wide kick. Um, and that was across the board. That, that was whether I was on uh, flowages or natural lakes. I don't really tend to see much different in my, in lure selections. Um, there, there are just some summers where, you know, fish want real aggressive baits or fish want a little more subtle bait. And I think that tends to carry from lakes to flowages and, and vice versa. So I think it just goes to show people that maybe they don't want to be 
like just because it worked last year doesn't necessarily always work this year. So instead of running, you know, if you're in northern Wisconsin, you can run two or three lines, depending upon how many guys you have in the boat, or one if it's just you. You may not want to just dial right in on a matlock. You might want to try a matlock and a headlock and let the fish kind of tell you what's going on for the given season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and a lot of our lakes up here in Hayward, you know, other than like, you know, maybe Couteray, Grindstone, and Round, where they do have big open basins, most of our natural lakes, um, you know, Sisabagama, for example, or Namakagan, um, they're very compact. They have a ton of structure to them, so they don't have these big wide open areas. So even on lakes like Namakagan, let's say, that I could run three lines per person, I was still running, you know, a four-line spread with two people in the boat. We're on the Chippewa flowage. You know, if I got three people on the boat, the max I can run is three lines. I still was, you know, trying to troll effectively versus just taking up a ton of space. Um, and, you know, with that said, where that kind of goes into what you were just saying, um, other than the 10-inch headlock being on every day, um, you know, when I was on a lake that I could run more than three lines, I would have two of them out. Um, or if I was on a lake like the Chippewa Flowage, I could, I would only have one of them out. I never started every day with a whole spread of the same lures. You know, if, if 10 inch headlock was hot and it got hit right away, well, then I might go to two of them. Um, but it, it was definitely, you know, you got to keep your options open. Um, you know, in a three, four line spread, it's not that big of a D, you know, it's not like I'm covering this huge patch of water where one side of the boat's fishing completely different than the other side of the boat. And I got to duplicate lures. You know, that's something, especially when you're structure trolling on a flowage is you almost want to set up your trolling run or your trolling spread. Like, like you would in the boat casting, for example, you know, if I'm running a 10 inch headlock, say a 14 inch Jake and say a 12 inch matlock, all three of those lures have completely different actions. I'm going to stagger them together to come along a break line. So I'm fishing one break line basically with three different actions and allowing those fish that I feel that are tight to that cover, uh, giving them options to choose from. And then that will kind of set up my day, you know, just like when you're casting, you might have a guy burning a bucktail up front, you know, maybe ripping a dog in the middle and throwing a, a slow jerk bait out of the back. You're kind of giving those fish that you're casting different looks. It's the same with trolling especially when you're running a tight spread on, on structure as well. Um, and then that was the same on the natural lakes. You know, I had a small four, four line spread. So that way I'm able to fish more efficiently on the structure that I'm on versus just, you know, these big open spreads that I'm, I'm kind of driving around aimlessly hoping to run into fish. I still, with all my trolling spreads, pretty much everywhere I go, I'm, I'm fishing a, a very tight spread to target the structure more effectively. Sure. Well, I guess that answers that question, Pete. I appreciate you coming on for this brief uh, time to, to talk about trolling with us. I'm sure we'll have you back on again sometime. And then I'll uh, I'll see you up at the Muskie Bash up in Treelands in a couple weeks. So thanks for coming on, Pete. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. I'll see you mid-October. Sounds good. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Thank you to Pete Rich for helping us out with that part of the question. And now we resume the rest of this conversation. Are you going to say no? I, I did want to interrupt, Jeff, but, you know, one of the things that maybe some people forget about, too, it doesn't have to be musky season to go out and try to start learning some of this new water. You know, I mean, you have a couple months usually when ice goes out, get out there and start exploring and kind of put together the lake before you even have to worry about throwing the first cast. So, I mean, I, I do it a lot of times when ice first goes out, the water is usually crystal clear. 
Um, the weed lines aren't going to be there necessarily, but man, you can explore a lake really quick. Like, so you don't have to worry about, man, I want to catch a fish. I want to catch a fish. You can go out and explore it before it even starts happening. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Brings me back to when I was first beginning musky fishing. Um, I did that quite often in April and May, like you said, early May before the season opened, I would go out there, especially if you want to mark rock piles, if you want to mark rock piles, they're always there. They don't move at all. So it's really easy for you to get a real good idea with mar- uh, marking rock piles. And I would just go around and I would just literally find the inside edges and all, every big boulder. I would find the top of it and I would just GPS all sorts of waypoints. I think, I think I've actually gotten away from waypoints a little bit more lately because the cards are so much better than what they were back then that you almost, I want to say you get lazy, but you get a little bit lazy and you kind of just make a few few marks on known problems with the map cards, but the map cards these days are so good that it's just cut down your learning curve so much. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that, Jeff. There's no doubt. We, uh, we're spoiled. There's no doubt about it. Spoiled. Lots of fish in lakes. Everybody, I shouldn't say everybody's putting them back, but almost everybody's putting them back. They're getting stocked well. Uh, we have... Lots of gear at our disposal. It's, you know, our, our grandfathers, if they were musky fishermen, would just laugh at us with the amount of technology that we have now. Well, hands down. There's no doubt about it. And I, w- I would like to put it back on the angler, too. You know, I mean, I don't know if anybody out there has seen it, but I on um, on YouTube, on Musky Mayhem Tackle's YouTube channel, um, I think I put it out last winter, but it's basically like a time clock on how long it takes once that fish is in the bag unpinned and then i literally lift the fish out of the bag we take a picture we measure it and it's back in the water and it's in like 17 seconds you know let's put it back on the angler too um prepare yourself be ready for it and take care of the fish because that's the future of the fisheries well we can talk a a brief briefly about putting it back on the angler so i heard i had heard a story over the over the weekend of well, it was a friend of mine, so it feels like a legit story. But he was trying to tell me that a, a guy by him caught a 38 and a half inch muskie, and he was trying to cut the hooks, but he was using his um, his pliers, like the cutting part of the pliers, to try to cut the hooks. Wow! And that's one of those things where you got to go out there with the proper release tools. This is super basic stuff. So if you're, you know, if you're a more advanced muskie angler, we're kind of preaching to the choir. But if you're newer and you're trying to learn the, the the sport and learn how to properly handle a fish you know just um take a little bit of time and and learn what tools like you said you have the the thing on your youtube channel we actually did one on our youtube channel about all the tools you should have it's a super basic video it was just one that we thought we should have in the cat in the catalog super basic video on what you should carry with you um if you're going to go out chasing muskies because everybody wants the latest baits and the latest and the greatest but if you're not prepared when you get a really big fish in the boat and the thing is pinned up, you can definitely do yourself some damage and you can definitely hurt the fish. So a good, I mean, I can't stress it enough how important it is for a good hook cutters. I don't know I don't know how to pronounce it, if it's Nipex or Nipex or whatever, but that's typically the one that I use. And that thing cuts through hooks like butter. They really do, Jeff. There's no doubt about it. Um, and with some of my experiences at the ER with some hooks in, in my fingers and hands and whatever, um our er doctors could probably learn a few things from that too they need some nipics as well (laughs) 
I can imagine. <laughs> uh, Hopefully nothing this year. Nothing this year. I, well, I have had a few hooks in the hands with our bender. Um, I get a little bit too fast on the bender, and I hit the button before the bait's out of there, and it wraps around my hand. Um, but uh, I've been fortunate. Carrie has jerked them right out of my hands, and um, we straightened a few seven-out hooks out, but uh, I haven't had to go to the doctor. So the last time I was at the ER, um, I basically had to tell the ER doctor how to do it. Um, I don't think he was real used to big seven-aught hooks, and um, it laced itself around my index finger, around through my thumb. And uh, he sat there with both hands on a cutter trying to cut the hook after we got it cut out, and he could not cut it so we could get the barb off. And so I reached over and clipped it, but uh, a pair of Nippics would have helped him. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, brother. <laughs> the mishaps that you have on the water. Fun stuff. And the saddest part about that whole story is that it was a pike that did it, did it to me. So It's funny you should bring that up. That The only time I ever got one in my hand was from a pike. A little stupid thing flailing around all over the place. That's why um, like people might laugh at me, but I put a lot of the pike I catch in the net for that reason. I just try to calm them down, get them to not flail around so much because they, they whip their heads around so bad. And sometimes, you know, they get hooked up like crazy. I wish muskies were as good a hunter as pike are because the pike will just crush baits. And, uh, you know, it seems like you got to screw around with hooks on them so often that a lot of times I just put them in the net, even if they're little. It takes me a little longer, um, but I try to keep myself away from them as much as I can. Well, there's, there's no doubt about it, Jeff. I mean, I... Some of the craziest stuff. I mean, I could tell a lot of stories about hooks getting stuck in people, but, um, you know, those smaller fish, whether it's a pike or it's a muskie, are generally the ones that are going to get you. There's no doubt about it. And um, so putting them in a net is usually the safest route. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Well, Brad, let's go back to, because we only touched on it briefly, the effects of social media, both positive and negative. Sure. Um, are you even going to know about this? Because as far as I know, you're not even on social media, are you? Uh, as a company, Carrie takes care of that. But, yeah, we're on it as far as musky man tackle. But myself personally, no. No, I'm not on the social media guy. But I, I think you could probably understand. I say, but I'm guessing you could probably play along here and understand the uh, implications that social media may or may not play. I've seen it firsthand, actually, Jeff. It's pretty amazing. I mean somebody posts a picture and the next thing you know there's 35 trucks and trailers sitting in a, in a access so for sure i mean that, that's the the world we live in today no doubt about it i mean it's instantaneous um success reports right yeah absolutely i mean it in according to the question there's both positive and negative the, the biggest negative i can think about is um pressure it can absolutely, like you alluded to, can put a lot of pressure on a fishery really fast by a couple of posts on social media. I'm quite certain that Malax probably saw it in the first week of the season, although there might have been a bunch of guys out there anyways, but after they saw the, I don't want to say the decimation, but the how many guys were catching big fish early on in the season because they were up shallow, I think that, um, I think Malax probably saw it, you know, firsthand this this year fortunately in the heyday of Malax, i don't even know if there really was much for social media but you know green bay is another one um 
I know a lot of the guys that have fished northern Wisconsin, they want to try to keep things a little more on the down low because of that. Same thing with the St. Clair guys because you know, guys will watch their Facebook feed and realize that the bite's picking up and head around out to the lake, which is good. I mean, it's good. It's good for somebody in the industry, you and me. It's good. They buy some gear. They go out and they chase some muskies. They catch some muskies. They hopefully introduce a new muskie angler to it because the bite's on. Makes it a little bit more fun and entertaining. So, I mean, there there's positives to it as far as owning a business, the social media aspect of it, too. I, I wouldn't argue that, Jeff. I mean, definitely, um, <laughs> as a business owner, a tackle manufacturer, you know, it definitely will help in that realm. But at the end of the day, normally, what I would tell most people, I mean, you see that fish posted today. Was it Was it caught today or was it caught a week ago? Or maybe it was two weeks ago. And uh, that bite's usually over by the time they would get there. Um, not always, but, you know, that, that's something to consider as well. Um, I guess I've never chased those bites because every time I ever tried to, I usually end up failing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it seems like it's better to put on your own bite and figure out your own little pattern, you know. That's my, my view on it. Well, it goes back to you know, us talking about exploring new lakes, it's good to find you, you have a handful of lakes that are in your back pocket that you know about in and out, you know, when the bites are good, you know what they bite on. So you just go out and fish them instead of, like you said, go out and chasing hot bite after hot bite after hot bite. You might hit it occasionally, but you're not always going to hit it. And so a lot of times I think you're going to end up more disappointed because you're going out there with such high expectations. I would agree with that for sure. You know, you know, the other sides of social media, I guess, you know, there's a lot of positives in the sense that maybe it's some sort of an article or informational type technique or tactic. Those are really positive. They truly are. I mean, the, the anglers can learn a ton. Um, maybe it's uh, something on electronics or how to mount your trolling motor. I mean, all of those things are super positive. Um, some of the other negatives, I would say is some of the bashing and, and uh, how people sway things throughout, um, you know, bad-mouthing others and what have you. I mean, that's the, the true negative that's really negative. You know what I mean? It just plain stinks. Yeah, that I can agree with totally. Like you see somebody post a picture and they'll, they'll say the size of it or whatever. Well, everybody has to go on and tell said person, how big they really think the fish is. So instead of just being congratulatory on somebody catching a muskie, why do we have to debate how big it is or it isn't? The person that caught it probably knows legitimately how big it was, or maybe they don't, maybe it's an education thing and they don't have the proper tools to even measure this thing. And they're using a floating stick or a, you know, one of those um, sewing rulers, like a girth measurement tape type of thing, you know, Obviously, yep. you're going to get different measurements that way. Some guys just assume they just look at it and like, oh yeah, it's 45. I've turned. I've turns out I'm not real good at doing that. Some guys can do it. I can get it somewhat close, but typically I'm I'm not that good at judging fish by how big they are in the net. Um, we measure stuff that's uh, typically if we think it's close to 40, we'll measure it just so we have an idea how big it really was to know, you know, for our own personal use. No, it's not an ego thing for me. Um, this year, I found myself measuring less fish. Just, I don't know why. Just didn't care, I guess. Um, 
but yeah, you're. I'm glad you brought that part up. The negative, the negative part would be the bashing and the and, uh, you know, not necessarily. It, I I don't want to say if it's jealousy or what it is. It's just weird, and I don't know why people feel the need to do it. It's not something I've gotten involved in, but I I just look at somebody's fish and go, oh, that's a nice muskie. Glad they got out and caught one. All right, next. Well, it's one of the biggest reasons why I don't participate in social media, honestly. Um, you know, the crazy part is, is it, it could be tied back to the future of muskie fishing, really. You know, if, if us as a group of muskie fishermen can't get along, and, um, and it isn't just muskie fishermen, it's all fishermen, we need to be supportive. There's people out there right now that do not want to see fishing continue. Um, no different than the hunting world, you know. There's a lot of anti-hunters. There's anti-fishermen now. We really need to reunite and work together um, as fishermen. Agreed. Yeah, it's like you said, it's disappointing in certain way in the, in that way that we can't unite. Like I said, I sometimes think it's ego or jealousy or whatever or whatever their reasoning is. I don't know what it is. Um, I see people catch big fish. I'm happy that they ca- caught big fish because the thing about it is today those fish are all going back in the water anyways. So they're still out there for you. It's not like you need to be jealous that they caught one, go out there, put in the work, put in the effort, go catch one of your own. Hands down, Jeff, no doubt about it. I, I don't know. I think that we, you know, there's, there's what, how many phases of musky fishermen, right? You know, you, when you first start, you just want, 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 you want to get them fish. You want to learn about it. You want to do this. I, I don't know when it happened for me, Jeff, but you know, I've guided whether it be big game hunting, or musky fishing for a long time now, but something inside me has always made me want to be a guide. I truly get more satisfaction out of watching somebody else catch, or when I was hunting, um, put that, you know, that uh, hunt together with somebody else. Um, To me, it's such a better feeling. It really is. And and to be able to support somebody and see how excited they get from that, to me, that's the biggest thrill. I mean, it truly is. So, Yeah, I won't disagree with you at all. I don't know when the switch flipped for me, honestly. I think it was probably maybe a couple years back, but maybe like when we started filming for YouTube, I just got excited because anybody caught them. Not that I ever got mad when I didn't catch them. I was always happy, but I've always been. Now I'm actually happier when other people I'm with catch them than I do. I really, honestly, if we're out fishing, I don't care if I catch one at all. I just want us to catch them. I don't care who does it. I It doesn't bother me one bit if it's not me. I actually like it more when it's not me. Um, we fished in northern Wisconsin a couple weekends ago for Labor Day. I caught three muskies. Nobody, like I was fishing with my daughter, and I was fishing with my buddy Kyle, and the two of them were working just as hard as I was. And I was, I gave my daughter the front spot. I took the middle because the middle is in that Lund is a little tougher. I had to kind of stand on this tackle box, and the back was actually better for casting. So I gave my buddy Kyle the back, and I'm in the middle catching fish between the two of them, and I'm almost feeling guilty, like, oh, man, I wish that these fish were biting their stuff and not my stuff. It's just, um, I don't know, it's just how I am as an angler now. I feel, and it's good. Like I said, I like it. I like being in that spot where I don't really care if I catch one or not. Yeah, I can totally relate to that, Jeff. I mean, and uh, like I said, I, I think I've always been that way. And I don't I don't know exactly why, but I um, I don't need to have all the glory. That's for sure. Um, and I think that's when it becomes more special, honestly. I can definitely say I was never where like 
I was always happy for the other person, but I always wanted to catch one myself. You know, like if we went on a trip, I wanted to catch one or we went out for the day. I wanted to catch one. And I can honestly say that it doesn't bother me anymore. I don't know when the switch flipped, but so if you were like that, you know, right away, I could tell why you'd be a guide. I could probably be a guide now because, like I said, I get more excited about watching other people catch them than I do. I like putting them in the net. It's fine. When we go out trolling, I don't, you know, I don't really, if I'm fishing with somebody, I don't really ever take that many rips anymore. I just let them do it. We were out on St. Clair. It didn't bother me if I got, and we, all, we all just took turns, but it wouldn't have bothered me if I would have taken no turns. Just to be part of it is now is just, just as fun as catching them. Yeah, hands down. I, I, you know, you could say it this way, Jeff. The boat catches the fish, right? You know, I mean, it, it's a team effort, always. Yeah, I had to give my daughter a lesson in that the other weekend. You could tell the first, <laughs> the, the first, I, the first two times I've taken her out casting now, like for a couple of days in a row, like two times this year, and the she, you could tell that she was a little bit disappointed every time somebody else in the boat caught one because she wanted to catch one, and I and I understand where she's coming from. She's 13. She's out there working towards the goal. She wants to achieve the goal. When she sees somebody else catch a fish, she's like, oh, shoot, one less fish that year, one less chance I had. You know, so at 13, I get it. I mean, I was probably that way at 13. Heck, I was probably that way up till I was 35. Um, like I said, not not grumpy, but where I wanted to catch them. And by the, end of, by the end of the trip last weekend after we caught the fourth one, she was like excited now I kept telling her I'm like it's a team effort like just don't feel discouraged when you don't catch one just be just just be happy that somebody's catching one because it's way more fun for somebody in the boat to catch one than it is for all of us to go home skunked um so I think she's understanding it I'm trying to teach her that but obviously she wants to catch fish because she's still at that age and I and I totally get it I totally get why people want to catch them catching muskies is awesome it's fun the one thing I I found this year, though, for whatever reason, I've had less, you know, like the butterflies. You see a follow, and you kind of get like your heart races a little bit. I haven't had that that much this year. I don't know. I don't know why that is. It's weird. I still get excited. I just don't get like as crazy jacked up as I used to. Does that make any sense? Well, I think it happens to all of us um, at some point. You know, I that's it's a tough one, Jeff. There's no doubt. Um, I don't know. I've been accused of not getting excited at all when I've filmed on Keys Outdoors or filmed with you or Jim Sarek or whoever. You know, they're like, man, you you don't react at all. And I I try to keep things calm. And and that's for somewhat because I've seen it a bunch of times. But some of it is, is you try to keep things calm so that the fisherman that's got the fish on doesn't get like overwhelmed and go, oh and and lose yep. yourself you know so i mean there's there's twofold on that um but uh i don't know i i still get more excited watching somebody else um and i don't know i love every minute of it though jeff i really do um if i see a follow i guess maybe it's like a level of professionalism yep. if you will I mean, when, when you, you're still jacked about it because that's what right. keeps us going. Um, it might not be that, that crazy feeling the first hundred follows that you had, you know what I mean? But I know what you're talking about. It, it's a hard to even explain because it's kind of a, um, it's something that's within you, right? Um, yeah. It's like, it's like a mindset change know. this year. And I don't know, this is the first year I noticed it when I was in the water and maybe it's, 
maybe it's like the business side of us trying to film so it just feels like super business-like and it took some of that away from me a little bit like the like I don't know it's just a weird it's a weird feeling like I said I'm still super happy I still love watching follows I still like that you just don't get over the top giddy where like your heart starts pounding when you see a follow it just doesn't happen it doesn't happen when I lose one anymore it doesn't happen when I catch one I mean anymore where your heart just like you know where you have the shakes now maybe if I got a 50 it'd be a different story um but it, it but you're just as excited as I ever was so it's just a weird it's like you said there's more like a calm nature about you versus what I had dealt with previously and not saying I was out of control previously but like it's just you know I can't explain it it's just a different thing you know for sure no I I, I respect that I know exactly what you're kind of talking about there no doubt about it and it's just the first season I've ever experienced it and we've caught I mean, we've, we've had a probably, like, it's been a, I don't want to say, like, brag and be like, oh, we had a great season. Because we didn't have a great season in the sense that, like, every time we went out, we caught muskies and, like, it was really easy. But every trip that we were on, we always would catch two, three, four muskies. But I don't want to make it sound like it was easy. Like, we went out and casted for eight hours and we caught ten fish. We would literally have to work our butts off all season long. And from what I understand, most guys are in the same situation. If you worked, if you're work, out there working hard, you're going to have a few shots at them every single day, but you're not going to get, it doesn't seem like this season you're going to get 10 shots. I was talking to Steve Jensen, who we had on last week, earlier today, because I'm going fishing with him later on this weekend. Um, that's my last trip to Hayward with him. And we were talking about the bite. And now typically September can be one of those times a year where you can get that. You can get, you can get eight follows a day and have five hooked and put three in the boat or five in the boat or whatever you can rack up numbers in september i think we can agree on that right brad oh for sure for sure september is one of my favorite months exactly september for a lot of guys is the month in you know my opinion if i could pick one month to fish it's probably september temperatures are nice fish are predictable usually and they're maybe not as big as they are in october but it seems like the there's more there's still more windows. October the windows can be intense, but they're usually short. And September it can be and you can use a variety of baits in September. I don't have to chuck pounders, I don't have to throw big stuff. I can throw normal stuff. Topwaters, bucktails, uh suics, jerk baits, bobbies, you know, stuff like that. Stuff that's not gonna kill me. So September can be an amazing month, but this year for whatever reason it's been this way most of the season you're trying to fight for two bites a day and that's where steve's telling me that the, that he's like yeah we can expect about two bites a day some days the two bites are going to stick other days one of them's going to stick but he's like we have shots every day we just don't we're just not putting up huge numbers yet he's like i expected to flip any day but he's like i've been expecting it to flip any day for the entire season it just hasn't happened yeah it's crazy isn't it i mean i <laughs> Here's musky fishermen. I mean, versus like say walleye or bass fishermen, we uh, we're looking for that one to two bites a day, maybe a few follows, and that one or two bite. Um, as a walleye fisherman, you're hoping to catch a limit per se, or you know, with bass, let's go catch ten an hour. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, God, what a different mindset we we have as musky fishermen for sure. I know it's tough because. You know, I've been trying to teach my daughter about this whole muskie game. I'm sorry if I keep bringing it up. It's just I'm I'm more focused on her catching muskies right now than I am myself. It's just more it's more fun to me to get her on fish and see her ignite the passion in muskie fishing, kind of spread spread my passion for muskie fishing through her. 
You're just basically trying to ruin another life, Jeff. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. I'm like, well, Steve ruined my life because I don't think I ever talked about that on the podcast. Like, Steve's the first. Steve's the one that really got me hooked. I mean, I was hooked on muskies slightly before him. Hadn't ever caught one until I went on a guide trip with Steve, and I still didn't catch one. But like literally within ten minutes, like I had been out probably I don't know eight times by myself, maybe seen a couple, couple follows, never hooked one, just kept grinding. But it wasn't that it wasn't that fantastic. And we go on a guide trip with Steve, and 10 minutes into it, he's got one hooked. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing wrong? He hands the rod off to my buddy because I guess that's the guide thing to do sometimes. I don't know. I'm, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know that. And um, so we get our first muskie, and I was hooked. And so maybe I'm just trying to – it's like me ruining my daughter's life is like payback for Steve ruining mine. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny stuff. Uh, it was so unbelievable to see – I just didn't know what I was doing wrong. Like I said, it literally took him like 10 minutes in the first lake we were at for the day to catch a muskie. And I was like, what the heck have I been doing this entire time? Of course, we go the rest of the day, and I think we maybe had like another follow the next day. I think we only booked him for one day. The next day we went out by ourselves. I got my, uh, I didn't get, I didn't get my buddy. My buddy got his first muskie. I was still muskieless. I don't remember when I caught my first one. Maybe later on that summer, I think I did. It's been all downhill ever since. Funny part about it is I've fished the spot that I caught my first muskie on so many so many times since. Um, I've never once caught a muskie off that spot ever again. That's strange stuff, isn't it? It is. Every time I go to the lake, I fish the same spot. I don't know what the deal was. I've fished it. <laughs> I've fished it inside, outside. <laughs> this bait, that bait. Never once in my life have I caught another muskie off that spot. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well meant to be i guess i guess good good for me that day right spot right time exactly all right should we should we shift into one more yep let's do one more what do you want to do you want to do uh well what are your go-to lures and tactics when times are really tough well i think we can combine that with um when things are tough as well as uh cold fronts because there was two questions um what are the go-to lures um and tactics for a cold front as well as when things are really tough. And I think that's pretty simple to answer in, in a couple different ways. Um, you know, when things are really, really hard, um, one of the things that I, I truly like to do is go to my confidence baits. Um, and those confidence baits for me are some of the baits that I actually make. Um, but not only that, um, I'll go to bigger blades and I'll start slowing things down. Speed of retrieval, I know I've said it before, is a really big factor in my mind. If fish are not reacting and they're being tough, slow things back down. Um, And I can do that with some of our big blades that we make, like the double cowgirl or maybe a supermodel. But another really good way to do some things, one would be um, Phantom's new um, Exorcist or even some of the old, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, something like a, um, side to side jerk bait, um, walk the dog style type jerk bait, um, definitely will provide some fish when nothing else will. Um, that's what I would say when things are tough. How can you relate to that, Jeff? I would say it's really similar to what you do. When things are tough, I generally will slow down. Um, cause I would say, Musky fishermen as a whole, maybe, I might be generalizing things, 
I think they tend to fish too fast these days because we hear so much about speed, speed, speed. So I think we're, and we're also using high speed reels and all that other stuff. So I think inherently we're fishing faster than what we typically did, you know, when I started. I think, I can't remember how long I've been musky fishing, 20 years maybe. Um, wouldn't you agree with that, that we tend to fish faster this, um, Brad? Oh, hands down, Jeff. I mean, as a guide, watching people continually, almost every day, um, I'm telling people, slow down, slow down, slow down. I literally want to take like half the line off their spools and go, here you go. Now reel as fast as you want, and you're not getting the performance out of the reel. So it's frustrating. It truly is. Um, But then again, I mean... To me, speed of retrieval is number two or number three in this whole gig of musky fishing. It truly is. And so what I'll normally do, I mean, if I'm struggling and I don't know exactly what's going on at this point, maybe I haven't been on this body of water for a week or two weeks or whatever it might be, or things have just gotten tough, I will have the guy in the front of the boat kind of burning, if you will. You know, maybe not wide open, but he's burning. The guy in the middle, a little bit like moderate type speed, you know, just kind of a a good speed, but not real slow, not real fast. And then myself in the back of the boat, I'm just going to be creeping as slow as I can go. Um, and, and maybe the guy in the middle gets bit. All right, let's all switch up to moderate speed and see what happens from there, you know, throughout the day. But there's definitely some baits out there that will show you fish when nothing else will. And, you know, your gliders, like I said, that walk the dog, maybe it's under the water. Um, Gliders definitely seem to move fish when nothing else will. And one of the things I I think you can relate to this, Jeff, because a few years ago, you know, Phantom's new exorcist moved fish when nothing else was, but those fish gave themselves away. They were back there and we went back on them and caught them on blades later in the day. Yep, I saw it firsthand. That exorcist worked really well that day. It was uh, pretty incredible, actually. And I don't I mean we'll we'll pick on the exorcist because that was the that was the one that showed him that day. But like this year, I've noticed in and we'll talk about like you said side to side jerk baits. We'll go back to that for a second. You you hit it right on the head. Side to side jerk baits will definitely show you more fish. I think the one problem guys make when they fish side to side jerk baits like a hellhound or a phantom or a squircle is they make it too rhythmic. You know. It's just march it, march it back to the boat, really rhythmic. You, you still, no matter how tough the bite is, I still try to um, try to trigger a response out of the muskie as far as like, you know, the bait getting away. So what I'll do is maybe make four fast pumps and then I'll make it pause. And then I'll make two fast pumps and then I'll make it pause. Instead of marching it back going, you know, dink, 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 all the way back to the boat. I don't like that, that motion. The same thing is like if I'm using Exorcist, a Bobby, or a Suic, I would do the same thing. I'd maybe make two quick short pulls and then a pause, and then maybe be three fast pulls and a pause. To me, when things get tough, it's always about the pause. That's just something I've seen, and I saw it this year a lot. Um, Last year, I did really well on a Bobby. This year, I've done better on a Suic. I don't know if there's a reason for it. It like you were talking about confidence baits. This year the Suic's been more of a confidence bait for me. For whatever reason, 
I switched to a suic from using a bobby probably, and I caught a fish on a suic, so you've stuck with the suic, and then it, it's continued to perform. If I was using, we talked about this briefly, I think, before we started recording, didn't we, Brad? Self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah, no doubt. If you're, you know, it's funny because you hear guys say, oh, I was throwing a bulldog, and I switched the bulldog, and I caught a medusa. Well, what would have happened if you'd have kept the bulldog? Would you have caught a fish? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Same thing in this situation with me this year. Had I continued to pound a bobby, would I have caught those same fish? I might have. But in this instance, I was using a suic. And to me, it's about the pause. When things get tough, I want to have a pause. Steve talks about it frequently with me, death pause. That's what we call it. It's always a death pause. Even my daughter knows about the death pause now. Um, And that's that's just the way I've triggered fish. But again, still working erratically but yet pausing your baits to try to give those fish that, like, you know, the fi- the bait fish is just fleeing, and then all of a sudden it stops, so they need to hammer it. And I'm, we've caught so many fish on the pause this year. When I say so many fish, it's not like we've caught hundreds because we haven't caught hundreds this year, but I have at least five, six fish that we've caught just pausing it, and just they just come up and crush it. It's awesome to watch, but that's, that's uh, fishing gets tough for me slowing things way down not way down like i said i still i still keep it you know fast fast slow fast fast slow that kind of thing not real rhythmic yeah if if you're the only one in the boat or maybe it's you and a buddy um you know changing things up every other cast every fifth cast whatever it might be but speed of retrieval is a huge factor there's no doubt about it absolutely then you can shift this into the second part of this question, and that's cold fronts. Um, honestly, you know, at this time of the year, say the first, second week of September, cold fronts become a huge factor, generally speaking, in Minnesota. And I love cold fronts for Minnesota fish. I don't know if you if do you relate to that, Jeff, over in Wisconsin or um, sometimes. <laughs> you know, you know it is. Muskies do musky things. There's times where a cold front, especially this time of year, can be really great. The cold fronts that I've experienced so far this this uh, early, you know, late summer, early fall period, I haven't liked. They haven't they haven't been real kind. We've been able to get things to go a little bit, but they made it a lot tougher than it should be. Well, I I think some of it, Jeff, is I mean, this year, this has been crazy. I mean, it's cold front after cold front after cold front, all in a week and a half period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's become a little bit more severe than it normally would have, but honestly, it, it really has helped us here in Minnesota. I would say in some ways, um, you know, we've, uh, we've struggled with some of the bites, you know, throughout August and things have kind of turned around here in September. Um, one of the things that I would say is, you know, on an early cold front, which I would say the end of August or in the beginning of September, I'll, I'll call that an early cold front. I generally will switch um, from whatever I've been using throughout the summer to blades and top water. And when I say blades, I'm, I'm talking about an inline bucktail. It might even be a spinner bait, but um, you know, and the top water thing really seems to get going again, especially on a cold front when our water temps drop below 70 degrees, actually probably 68 degrees. Um, that's usually a trigger, triggering effect here in Minnesota. Now, if we shift into the later fall, um, and we'll say the end of September going into October when it's later fall, I still will throw some blades 
Um, and, and I'll do that. I mean, honestly, I think as musky fishermen, we kind of forget about blades as we get colder and colder. They're still effective if you if you uh, slow down your presentation. But that's when we're really going to start concentrating on rubber and wood. And what I mean by that is your bulldogs, your uh, medusas, and then on the wood side, you know, whether it be uh, an, an intimidator or you know a big suic our big daddy that we make um wood can be a big factor and when you're not seeing them on wood it's usually on rubber when you're not seeing them on rubber it's usually on wood and um those cold fronts that's what it really becomes in my boat anyway yeah i would say you're probably right and sales will dictate that too um usually about let's say we got let's see we're like what are we today the 9th of september so we probably got about two more weeks of solid blade sales. And then you're going to see those start to dip off. As soon as we hit October, we pretty much just sell bulldogs, suics, and crankbaits. That's all you're going to sell from here on out to the rest of the season. And I think it'd be hard to argue that in October that somebody in the boat should be throwing rubber all the time. Yeah, you know, I mean, r- rubber's a huge factor, but I, I can honestly tell you um, don't limit yourself there. You know, if there's three guys in the boat, definitely have somebody throwing rubber. The secondary should be, uh, some sort of a wood, you know, and then from there, definitely, um, something that I play around with quite a bit, especially in the month of October, November, it just depends on how cold it is. But I mean, honestly, I've caught muskies right up to ice up on blades as well. Um, and it's something that's not done a whole lot. So the neat thing about it is, is that, you know, you can be doing some oddball stuff and it might, might even be top water. You know what I mean? Something just totally unique can sometimes get it done, but speed of retrieval becomes a huge factor in my opinion. Well, when you talk about speed of retrieval, there was always, um, uh, I'm trying to think of it. I'm trying to think of the name of the, uh, I just had a tip of my tongue before. Uh, there's a book. Oh, spoon plugging, book Buck Perry spoon plugging. You ever did you ever pay any attention to it, Brad? I, I've never read it. I know the book, um, and I have some spoon plugs. I've never really played with them. I just own them because of, because of the history side of it more than anything. Well, if you read if you ever read his book, uh, it's not so much necessarily about the spoon plug itself. It's more just dials in that that um, the idea of depth control and speed control are like your two biggest factors throughout the course of a day, pretty much. And that book is old and his teachings are old, but those two things will stick with you if you read the book, Spoon Plugging by Buck Perry. It's, like I said, it's an old book. It's an old presentation. It doesn't pertain to muskies. It pertains more to bass. But the idea behind it is depth control and speed control. And I think we can both agree that those are two things that are very those are very important things in musky fishing. There's certain days where you can go fast and high and the muskies will react. There's other days where they're a lot more sluggish. So you got to get more in their face and present it in a slower fashion. Uh, I would totally agree with that. I mean, here's the deal when they're non-active or maybe there's a high pressure, and they bury themselves in the weeds. You know, a lot of times the only way you're going to get them out of those weeds is if you land on their head with that cast, you know, um chopping things apart slowing down your boat control 
slowing down your retrieval. Make sure that those fish are seeing the bait. Um, if you're burning through and that fish is five feet over and you're burning through with your boat control, um, you just miss that fish. And uh, so th- those are things to consider when you're out on the water. Yep. But I'm glad you brought up the point earlier about uh, multiple anglers in the boat. Anytime we have multiple anglers in the boat, until we know what the pattern is for that day, we're all throwing different presentations. And we're all varying mm-hmm. our speed, too, to try to figure out what they're, what they're going on. Like you said, once you figure one, once you start to see either see a fish or catch a fish, now you have the beginnings of a pattern. Once you catch two, I feel if it's on the same presentation, I feel like your pattern is fairly established, and now I'll start to transfer other people into that pattern. No doubt about it. Um, again, goes back to you know the boat catches the fish, and if you work it out together, it. Uh, you generally will put more fish in the boat as the day progresses. Yeah. And typically, you know, these days, if I feel like there's going to be a better presentation, I will probably tell the people in my boat, hey, I think this is probably the better presentation for the day. And if they're not catching them and I catch them, then I go, oh, I guess I was wrong. I guess I was wrong. I do get to catch one today. Here, try this presentation. It's like last weekend. I hate to go back to that, but I kept ha- I I kept handing my daughter different baits. I'm like, all right, start with a suic. Then I ended up catching one on her suic because her hands got cold. I think I told that story last time. And then I switched up to a dog while she was throwing the suic. So I caught one on a dog, and then I handed her the dog. She lost a fish on the dog. Then the following morning, I had her starting on a dog. I was throwing blades. I had one blow up on my blades. Then I give her the blades. I'm like, all right, I guess they're going to go on blades. And she hooked one on that mimic bait that we have. And then... Um, you know, now, and so she lost one on that, but that, that was kind of the progression. I just kept handing all sorts of baits off to her, like, here, okay, apparently they're going on this, apparently going on that, and, I mean, it worked. I got her two bites, but we couldn't get one in the boat, so I'm not that good, but still learning to be this guide thing, Brad, you know? I'm not in that position real often. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no matter what you think you've learned in this, this whole gig, it's never enough, and uh, I had some guys in the boat yesterday, and I told them straight out, I said, here's the deal. When I'm done learning, I'm done fishing because I, I'm never going to get it all figured out. And and that's the reason I musky fish, ultimately. I mean, if if I could go, yep, we're going to go get three fish today, boom, 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 we got three fish, I head home, guess what? I'm not a musky fisherman anymore. The struggle is part of the reason why we fish them. And um, we can all continue to learn as we grow in the sport. Yep. If it was easy, everybody would do it hands down well i think that wraps up our first episode since way back in the day brad where it was just me and you episode number one or two whatever it was first couple i think maybe we didn't have any guests yeah for Um, sure although technically i'm going to film a little segment here yet with pete rich and we'll plop that into that spot that i had earlier in the earlier in this episode so we'll kind of have a guest but this is our first one with no guests um if you guys want to see more of this or not see more because you don't see anything on a podcast um, if you want us to do more of these question and answer type things, just send us an email, um, backlash podcast at gmail.com. And, um, Brad, why don't you tell, talk a little bit about musky mayhem tackle and let's get on with our evening. Yeah, no doubt. You know, musky mayhem tackle, we, uh, are the original big blades and flashaboo bait company. Um, very proud of that being the originator and you can reach us at musky mayhem tackle.com as well as both on Facebook and Instagram, Musky Mayhem Tackle. 
So look forward to hearing from you. We'd love to see some pictures of some fish uh, caught on our products and um, take it from there, I guess, Jeff. All right. So Backlash Podcast, you found us once. You should be able to find us again wherever you found us this one time. But you, if you're looking for other places to find us, it'd be iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and Podbean. If you want to leave us a rating, good or bad, do that on iTunes because I don't know if any of the other rate systems have other ones have ratings. We pref- we'd like it if you get you did that so we kind of have an idea what we're doing with, what we're dealing with, or how we're doing. I think we're doing all right, but I really don't know. Uh, people keep listening, I think. Uh, as far as my company, Team Rhino Outdoors, we are an online retailer. We sell a lot of custom items that you won't find anywhere else. That's the majority of us. This year, we've started to add more stock colors and other stuff. I know I have a pile full of drifter tackle laying on the table. In fact, I got a whole pile of everything laying on the table. I got a big order from Muskie Mayhem today. I got a whole pile of bulldogs coming. Maybe be online when you hear this podcast. Uh, new colors, finally. Just a lot of stuff going on at TRO, which is weird because, uh, you know, the season's starting to wind down, sadly, Brad. When we started this podcast, I'm like, oh, we got plenty of time. This season's going to last forever. And, man, it's hard to believe how fast it goes. It really is. And every year goes faster, Jeff. <laughs> it's kind of scary, actually. Um, I, I keep talking, you know, yesterday I was talking to my guys that I had in the boat, and I'm like, it's the second week of September already. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I feel like it should still be uh, like mid, late July. Um, I don't know, Jeff. It, it's going quicker and quicker. Absolutely. And with all the weather, with the weather we've had, and I'm a worried what the water temperatures are going to be to start October because they're cold already. Uh, you got that right. They're dropping quick. And we today had rain all day long, big wind. Um, I think we had a high of 57 today. So I don't know. I'm anxious to see what the water temps are going to be tomorrow. But uh it's definitely uh, becoming fall overnight. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to Backlash Podcast again. Thanks for coming out, Brad, on short notice, doing this one solo. Um, well, solo with me, which is as solo as it gets. <laughs> I'm not much help anyways. Uh, thank you for coming out and always being a co-host with me, Brad. Have a good night. You too, Jeff. Don't short suit yourself. You always got something to say. Yeah, it's mostly garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't agree with that. Um but uh, I think we got it done tonight for sure, Jeff. We'll, uh, we'll regroup and uh, hopefully bring on somebody that can uh, give us a little support next time. How's that sound? Yeah, that sounds good. Take care. All right, bye.